April, Blacklight Retribution, Xenoblade Chronicles, Legend of Grimrock, Skull Girl, Fez, Prototype 2, The Walking Dead Episode 1, Risen 2, Dark Waters. I have a proposal that we reserve our Walking Dead talk until the end, because there's five I episodes. was wondering how we were going to do that. <laughs> yeah, that that yeah, would make more sense to me, because I kind of see them as one continuous unit of good. So. Right. Still going to announce when they were released, though. So, sure. Black Light, Recapitulation, don't care. Uh, Actually, I played that. You did? I played that oh, when it was uh, still in beta. Uh, I was given a uh, beta copy to... Well, I wasn't allowed to write anything about it, so I don't know why I was given it. Because I did write something about it, we published it, and then we had to take it down. So Did they give you, like, a date where it was okay? No, and the, they asked me, did they tell you anything when you signed up for it? And, no, just... Uh, just standard, we own you, you don't own this, yada, 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 terms of agreement that you have to sign for every company. It's like some school, schoolyard whispers. Oh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> it's like, well, I did, I did sort of like, and the thing is, is, I didn't rip it apart. I, like, gave it its positive points and its negative points, and it was like, yeah, it's a, and yeah, it's a work in progress, but I, it could be interesting where it goes, and apparently we're supposed to write about it, but the, the guy was actually kind of congenial because he liked what I said, because apparently got his team to actually listen to the QA testers and fix certain hmm. things. So in the end, Eric Swain saved video games. No, no. At least I played it. Like I played it because it was free and it was an assignment, but it honestly wasn't. It wasn't something I'd play normally. It's a shooter that's literally just an arena shooter. It had some interesting levels, but some of the things that were interesting about it are lost by the fact that it's just an arena shooter. Like, one of them looks like it could have been ripped straight out of a Neuromancer Blade Runner crossover, and it's so fascinating. I would have loved, like, a story mission in it, but no. I thought you just said it was, like, something ripped out of a Marilyn Manson video. I was like, what, what on earth is that meant to be like? <laughs> That'd be an interesting Neuromancer game. and Blade Runner. <laughs> okay. 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 Has anybody played Xenoblade Chronicles? Because I've I heard good things about it. I have my Same. copy because I was worried that it would disappear from GameStop forever and I wanted to at least have one. And my closest exposure to it was when the brother of my surrogate family purchased an import copy and was playing the Japanese version on his modded Wii. And it honestly looked like the most boring thing I'd ever seen. But then it finally came out in the U.S. as, like, this limited release thing, and everyone started raving about it. It's just like, oh, I guess that boring game that didn't impress me was a thing that a lot of people were interested in. So Kind of is. Like, a lot of games look boring, but they aren't when you're actually the one behind the wheel, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, no, it's a fair point. And the things that have been said about it, that it's kind of a Western RPG by way of a JRPG, that's interesting to me. I, like, the mythology and, like, the things that put together within the world design sound very fascinating, but it's a hundred-hour RPG. What I don't like, though, is people that say that it's a sequel or prequel or spin-off of Xenogears slash Xenosaga. No, it's just an homage in the name. Oh, okay. So it's just... Xeno is a word. Yes, yes, and apparently it is a blade that comes from aliens or something. I don't care, because I'm very protective of Xenogears. I even hated Xenosaga for doing what it did to Xenogears. You are not telling me that Xenoblade Chronicles has anything to do with Xenogears, okay? End of line. Speaking of aliens, I quite like to play Xenomorph Chronicles. That's like my kind of thing. Ha. As long as you need to play as Ripley. Well, the generic generic beef marine. No. We know video games aren't as advanced as movies. (laughs) 
That's right. You know, when, you know, James Cameron, you know, duplicated all those aliens and or those guys in rubber alien suits bounding over those chest high walls and just duped them over and over again, one on top of another in aliens. That was the peak of the cinematic form right there. Back in your hole. Game over, man. Game, Game over. Okay, Fez. Can't not talk about it. Like what was it? Like a billion years in development, it breaks in the first week. I don't own a 360, so... I, I've, I've played Fez. I've played about... uh played about an hour, an hour and a half of it. And what I really want... My problem is that I'm too stupid to do all the puzzles. I can't think them through. And I'm like, I'll see these Tetris blocks in the wall. And they're like, that's a language? What the fuck? Ah! So I'm going to try and sit down with somebody else on a notepad and properly play it. Because it seems like that, that's the way I play it. I know that's how Brendan Keogh played it. Him and his partner sat with a wee notebook and played their way through it. But, yeah, it's a very interesting game. I'm pretty Both sure a game where a walkthrough isn't cheating, because it's almost expected. But then that, to me, is like a... That's kind of a failure in itself, if a game requires a walkthrough for you to get through it. I don't think it, well, don't like think it needs one. It needs you to, you need to get into the mind of Phil Fish. You need, to, you need to figure out what these puzzles are meant to be telling you, because there does seem to be a clue to everything. There's nothing that's completely abstract. You just need to... Once you figure it out... It's like a cryptic crossword. Like, if you looked at a cryptic crossword, clearly, like, that fuck's this. But once you know how to... Well, that's what I think, anyway. But once you've actually looked at the, the clues and you understand how they're meant to be interpreted, it becomes a lot easier to actually figure out what the answer is. And so that's what Fez is like. You need to understand how the game is telling you things before you can understand what it's telling you. Yeah. No, I mean, for me, it was like... I mean, I played it for a few hours, probably more than I really should have. And I got to a point where it's just like, well, this is kind of like that hidden star ending in Braid. I know that the objective is there and that with enough tenacity I can reach it. But I'm actually probably just as satisfied reading other people talk about it. To be fair, the ending star in Braid, there aren't that many of them and you can finish it a lot quicker. Yeah, no, what I'm saying is just like, Braid took me a long freaking time because it's just not the kind of platformer that I can do very well. It takes a certain degree of precision that I was not meant for in this world and Fez too is just I agree with Alan it's just like I'm not smart enough for a lot of this and at some point I've got this huge game backlog I really don't have the time to go and fuss with these puzzles forever for something that is just I mean it's it's pretty but there's really I mean I don't feel like I don't feel like a better person because I played it I don't know are you meant to? I mean, there's like the, the one no, thing. No, I mean, it's just like, all right, it's to this point where I feel like you're an adult. Your time is limited as it is. I mean, I don't know about anyone else here, but I'm working like 50, 60 hours a week. When I have time off, I want a game that I play to, I don't know, fulfill me in some way. And I wasn't getting any fulfillment out of that. I guess that's, that's a fair enough thing to say. I mean, the one thing that made me really want to play it again was Indie Game the Movie. Whenever I watched that, I was like, wow. This guy invested so much time into this. Like, I really want to play it again just to see if I can understand what he went through when he made the game. So, in an autobiographical context, yeah, I'm really looking like, for it. Yeah, Fez is a game that like has been talked about for years. It's been in development for years. It's made the indie circle circuit for years. And they then won it won multiple times at the indicator. Right. And then it comes out, and it's just like, yeah, there's a bit of enthusiasm, and then just like flatlines completely. Well, it was a, it was a yeah, enthusiasm. It got a 10 out of 10 from Eurogamer. Like, the, the critics raved about it. Yeah, but they disappeared very, very quickly. 
And this was like in the spring, earning into the summer, where there are very few really discussable releases. Oh, I don't know. Maybe we should all just hang out and play it. We can understand it together. <laughs> well, if they ever release it to Steam, I'll give it a shot. That's what I hate about these Book 360 inclusives. It's because early on, it's like it didn't exclude the PC, but now like Microsoft's wisened up, and now they're including delayed results to PC, a format they basically control. Mm-hmm. That really works. Like yeah, this, no, this I mean... This has kind of been the death of Xbox Live, hasn't it? I mean, it's not... It's just... I mean, it's had interesting titles, but the fact that they're exclusives kind of reduces the enthusiasm in a lot of ways. I mean, I know that... There are at least two or three that I would... Yeah, I mean, like... One back three titles that wanted to come to PC, one eventually did, two I'm still waiting on, and Fez is one of them. I mean, I've, like, I've talked to some of the people that were involved in Dust, and it's just like, yeah, we can't even talk about porting it to other platforms for another couple of years because of the exclusivity contract, and that's just like, that's such a downer. Because I would love to play that game just on a platform that is not the 360 or any other console. Well, I'd still end up playing it with a controller. It's just I need access to it. And I actually want to mention Legend of Grimrock. Go ahead. I just, I just downloaded it today. It's actually it's in my Steam library now. It's waiting for me to devour it over the Christmas period. Oh, I got it off GOG because I like DRM3 more than I like Steam. But I like Steam just fine. But Legend of Grimrock is just, it's just one of those visually striking games for being just a basic dungeon crawler of the really old school variety like you, you think like the golden age of Bioware is old school no this is old school old school and it's like if well I love what one person said about it it's like if you showed this to my 12 year old self I'd probably still lose my mind because there's no way my computer could handle such gorgeous graphics but the game would have been right at home it wouldn't I wouldn't even have it, is probably better polished for all the lessons learned in the intervening decades. But it really is just a beautiful game that, I don't know, if it was either a small team or just one guy managed to do this. In, I think it was Unity. And it was the, it opened the floodgates because soon after, that's when all the Kickstarters coming out, that's when like all the indies, grand indie titles came out that weren't funded by a publisher. So to me, it's just... It deserves a mention, if nothing else. I haven't gotten through it yet. Cause yeah, well, I've, I haven't started it yet, old. but uh, I intend to. There's a, there's a long way in my book. Yeah. It's not really and my sort of thing. But, no, this has been a really great year for, like, the one-author game as well, or just, like, just just small little projects in Unity and the readily available dev kits and all of that that are now just becoming more accessible to more people. And I think it's really changing the game. No one has anything else to say about the others? Prototype 2 is the most generic game name I have ever heard. <laughs> Prototype 2 Retribution? <laughs> prototype 2 Recapitulation? Surely by the time you've got Prototype 2, it's no longer a prototype. That should just be like, should be like Gold Master, you know, release no, the manufacturers. If, if it's Prototype 2, they should at least call it like Beta or something. Archetype. Oh, and Risen 2 Dark Waters, for what little I played at preview event, in a, or at least in a preview setting, not really any then, it was okay. I'm glad someone finally did an RPG with pirates. I thought it wouldn't have taken this long. And I suppose since it's the second one, it's not the first, but... I was going to say it didn't. Have you never heard of Sid Meier's Pirates? Was, is that really an RPG, though? I don't know. It's like a kind of, well, what, what is an what is an RPG? You know, it's like yeah, kind of a strategy like adventure game. You know, yeah, 
because it's Sid Meier, I thought it was more like strategy, more like uh, sim sort of thing. This is where the term RPG is just total, total wank. Because what in what game? Okay. Are, in what game are you not let's playing? Say, uh, you know. Well, let's just say like standard Western style RPG with pirates. Okay. Okay. You'd think, it, especially with like the huge boom they had in the last decade, someone would have done something. Yeah, the Pirates of the Caribbean game, but I gather it wasn't very good. No, well, it, it was, was very a, generic. It was a, it's a tie-in action game. It's not really the same. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, Risen 2 was one that was on my radar, and then I heard that you really couldn't customize your avatar at all, and I'm like, oh. And I guess maybe I'm just spoiled on Bioware games, but I kind of like being able to play the Mary Sue kind of amazing, kick-ass woman kind of person that I'm just... I'm not going to go and play a pirate man, just play a guy pirate game thingy yeah. again. It's just, no, I want to be freaking Anne Bonny or Mary Reed or something like that. Give me some options here. Again, you can find that sort of thing in the indie space. Exactly! No, no I'm absolutely serious. You can't actually find that sort of thing. I can't yeah. remember the title. May. Fable Heroes. Mm. Starhawk. Minecraft XBLA Edition. Diablo 3. Max Payne 3. Sonic the Hedgehog 4 Episode 2. Dragon's Dogma, The Binding of Isaac, Wrath of the Lamb. Does, does my list say Dragon's Dogman? That's a much more interesting <laughs> game. <laughs> Dragon's Dogman. Oh, Eric's typos strike again. Release the hounds. I, I feel sorry for all my editors. <laughs> and I'm one of them. That's that, that's the that's the one game of the year I wanted to come out that didn't. That's getting, that's getting tweeted. Uh, you didn't say the binding of Isaac, it's the biting of Isaac. The biting of Isaac? That's where the end went. <laughs> the end moved. Well, we're so glad that there wasn't a Deus Ex this year, because there would have been a Deuce X on this list somewhere. Even though they're spelt the same way. No. You, you consistently swap the U and the E anyway. This is all <laughs> cut, because we're not going to have some huge section in here about Eric's inability to spell... Okay, first things first. Ian's not here. Does anyone care about Diablo? Um, no, and in fact, I deliberately boycotted it. Because, well, I'm, I'm a really big fan of Diablo 2. I played it last year, actually. Just, just before Diablo 3 came out. I was really excited about it, but when I heard about just the bullshit DRM and all the... Because the, the whole thing was just ridiculous. The way they promoted it was just like... It was this integral online-only thing. It was, it was worse than StarCraft, because StarCraft, I can understand the online domain component. But with Diablo, there was no good reason for a lot of that game to be online. And it wasn't just it wasn't just server validation. It was like the game was stored online and you logged in to play it. Well, that's because of the real-life auction house, because the real-money auction house, because there's real money in there and they need to well, don't, track Don't that. put a real-money auction house in it. It's a, it's a game. Well, there was, a, there was actually a very detailed article that went into the design and how the real-life auction house... Real money, why do I keep calling it the real-life auction house? Real-money auction house changed the very design of the game because it necessitated it and actually made it worse just by how it affects the change in design, how it affects the psychology of the player, and it actually made the experience worse and people less enjoying it but more compelled to keep playing it. It's just it, What amazes me with Blizzard is that they're the longest development time of any mainstream developer and publisher, but they also do the least between games. Huh. It's like, it's just... It spent ten years doing a massive paint job. People lapped it up, and uh, critics of time were like, "Oh, this is so, fair. This is so wonderful! This is so brilliant!" Who's talking about it now? Who's talking about it now? Nobody. Yes, especially when 
uh, another game, which we'll get to, came out, it, it disappeared off of everyone's radar once another game came that out. That Dragon's Dogma, yeah. That funny. <laughs> uh, actually, Dragon's Dogma has, like, another dichotomy. It's a game that a lot of people are placing highly, well, not a lot, a few people are placing highly on their Game of the Year's list, but other people are, again, it's trash. Like, my own friend, is, he says, if anyone says this is a good game, you are instantly dead to me as an opinion maker. Really? Because, I mean, I've, I've heard pretty good things about it. I've heard mixed from good to very good, but I haven't heard anybody say, you know, this killed my parents and I want revenge. It's like, it's not that bad. Oh, no, no, he doesn't say, go that. The kind, that kind of idiotic hyperbole. He just, he hates it. He hates that game. I think the last game I hated was probably Far Cry 2, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How are you working at critical distance? I whenever, I, whenever I submitted my CV, I didn't mention Far Cry 2. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's just that I, I just... Would be a gate, gatekeeper. <laughs> yeah. 10-second review of Far Cry 2 is, I don't understand it, and I wish I did, and someday I'm going to play it again, and I probably will enjoy it. I understand why people like it. It's just not my kind of thing. Do we talk about uh, exactly 10 seconds? Anyway, what is there left to say about Minecraft other than, how does that work on a controller? It has to be fairly reduced. I mean, I thought that it came to um, the PC with, like, fewer textures and stuff like that. Well, the textures... The Xbox can easily handle that. It's very low res. You yeah, just have to get I mean, it's just, I don't know. I just remember that it's just like they later brought in features for the game. That's, that's DLC that you're making someone pay for. Well, to be fair, that's Microsoft's thing that Notch wanted to give it away for free as an update. Well, this is what you do. This is what happens when you deal with the devil. Anyway, I mean, the problem with Minecraft and the 360 is that the 360 really doesn't have enough RAM to do that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm really yeah. impressed that they actually produced Minecraft for the for the Xbox. Hey, I can get it to run on my phone. Your phone probably has more RAM than, I, uh, than an Xbox. But there's a phone version of Minecraft That's... anyway. I mean, it's optimized yeah. for that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it, there's definitely some article I read on the actual production of it. And like, in terms of technical achievements, it's surprisingly excellent. Yeah, to me, it's just this and the Angry Bird franchise. Is like I don't think we truly understand the gaming experience of children and who's going to be the next generation of quote unquote gamers. Because it really, where for us it might have been like Mario, Sonic, or Zelda, it's going to be for them Angry Birds and Minecraft. That is their image for the future. I mean, it's actually interesting. I I was talking about this before with Minecraft. I forget who too, but this is turning into one of my classic anecdotes that I roll out in podcasts. I was speaking to. I don't really like to talk about my day job, but I do IT for the University of Oxford, and I was talking to one of our clients, um, and we somehow got talking about Minecraft, and she is not tech-savvy, neither is her husband, and they run a home server for her son and his friends, who all come around and play Minecraft, and they go nuts for it. And it's like, the people in our generation are like, oh yeah, this is fun, and you know, to me it's kind of like this 21st century Lego type thing, where I enjoy the exploration in the building, but... Kids are obsessed with it. It's this phenomenon. Mm-hmm. It's a, their equivalent of what Sonic was to me back in the day. Um, and I think it's interesting that Sonic 4 is on that list of games that come out in May, and I couldn't care less about it. It's like, okay, here's the thing. Sonic 4 Episode 1 was just... there was The physics were more... Yeah, it took, me, it took me 10 seconds to play that game. Downloaded it, jumped, went, nah, and deleted it. I finished, <laughs> well, I finished it because I wanted to. But uh, Episode 2... 
they fix the physics, which what really means is they managed to recreate what they did almost two decades not, ago. Not the same. I'm wearing I'm wearing Sonic the Hedgehog socks right now, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not not kidding. I'll send you a photo if you don't believe me. They're they're black and white oh, checkered right. socks with Sonic's head on them. And I think and my little brother has those faithful. socks. Are you one of those faithful that keeps hoping that the next no, one will be it? No, actually, I I was broken with Sonic Unleashed. My review of that was a, was a breakup letter to Sonic. Um, like, I'm not, I'm not, not joking. I'll send you the link. No, I've given up. Anything after Sonic and Knuckles sucks. That's pretty much it. The only one, uh, the only one that I, the only one that I enjoyed was Sonic Rush. It was pretty good actually. It's the one with the Hideki Naganuma soundtrack. The guy that did Jet Set Radio. It's pretty good, but that's about the only good Sonic game I've played in the last fifteen years. Uh. I didn't think too badly in episode four. Yeah, it wasn't as good as the others. And episode two, since it's the biggest problem with it, I think it's it's fun. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't think you really can go back. No. Sonic is something that you can go back to. But anyway, yeah. uh, Starhawk. I just want to mention this for how little effect it made when it, I felt it should have been bigger. Is this a sequel to Warhawk. No, it just uses, it's the same company, mm-hmm. so it's Moniker Hawk, but it, it has nothing to do with it. Moniker Hawk. Moniker of Hawk. Yeah. First of all, it's, well, not the first one this year, but it has a fully well-developed, non-stereotypical black protagonist, for starters. Oh, yeah, I, have, I remember reading about that. It's a game that is ostensibly about manifest destiny and colonialism, which became big later the year. It has a a somewhat interesting multiplayer style in that they add new like, concepts and ideas to it with the buildings falling from space. I didn't even realize it had like a story to it. I thought it was only a multiplayer game. No, it has its own. It has a and it has a first player mode that it just like they, I guess I don't know if like Sony didn't hype it enough, which is seems to be consistent problem for them this year. Hype it up enough, especially in the in May, of all places. It was released in May. Okay, you, you lose the PC crowd, but seriously? You, you can't advertise at the Wazoo to get this sold? It's an exclusive. All and Sony just, and their marketing decisions. I know, and it just, like, never connected everyone, or enough people didn't even try it. And it just, it seems weird, because you'd think, even if it wasn't good, you'd think it's still, like, spark enough on all these present hot button things that it would can, that someone would talk about it a lot at least. It's a funny thing, you know, like that some games just pick up this kind of they you know they reach critical mass and some don't. I don't know. I, that was that meant to that was meant to be more deep than it actually was. But yeah, some games are popular and some ain't. For me, it's like the only thing that I really snagged on when I heard about this game was, oh, black protagonist. But then we had Walking Dead, which I think is a far more interesting take on, you know, African Americans in games. I mean, they even address well, race. Yeah. Well, true, but it's also the same effect. It's like, can you only focus on one thing that does this thing at once? That is, because then that's just an idea of tokenism. No, I mean... <laughs> I know, it's just... No, I, I understand mean, I that, it's just, so but there. it's just like, just... when the only thing that really had the game on anyone's radar was, oh, it's a black protagonist. And it's really sad that that is still kind of like a thing that we have to talk about, that it's so rare that a AAA studio is going to come out with a black protagonist that we have to talk about it in those terms. But that's really like the only thing about Starhawk that stays in anyone's memory. There's really not 
there's no meat there at all. Huh, I know, it's... Well, we don't know that because no one played it. True, but, I mean, I'm talking about meat It's also from in... the makers of Starhawk. You'd think that would be a selling point on uh... itself. I don't know, it's just... It's, it's a weird anomaly to me. And uh, the other one, uh, Max Payne 3. This one got a lot of chatter. It did, but I... I mean, I, I love the first two Max Payne games, but I just wasn't that interested in the third one. And people had said to me, yeah, it's, it's good, it's good. But some like kind of, it's good, just kind of have a reservation of what it is, but it just wasn't quite as good. thing is, though, when you say white male power fantasy where a group of gore from people shooting people in the face, this is it. There's a screenshot, I think it was, it's like a very widely put screenshot it's from one of the marketing things where it's almost point blank of, Max Payne just shooting a guy literally in the face, and you see his skull being blown apart and a spray of blood straight forward. I think anybody whose idea of a power fantasy involves a balding man and a wife beater who's an alcoholic. I think you need to get your priorities right, son. Yeah, but then again, you're shooting foreigners. My favorite kind of people to kill. <laughs> uh, yeah, people who aren't me. <laughs> Uh, this is something, I, this is something that I've been getting into with R a lot because you know he served in Iraq and all that stuff. And he's just like, well, yeah, that's actually pretty much standard with military training is that you kind of have to teach the soldier to view the opposition as not entirely human. Otherwise, empathy is going to kick in and they won't shoot. And it's just like, yeah, I can see how that's an effective war tactic, and I see how that also just kind of translates very naturally into games in which you shoot people, but if that seems, more than anything else, kind of a dangerous slope to be heading down, and the fact that we're not at all self-aware about that, it seems like that we just continue to perpetuate that kind of cliche in game after game of white men in strange areas where they shoot the locals in the face. If only there was a game that tried to subvert that kind of process. If only a military oh, yeah. game had been released this year that oh, tried something I different. Say, <laughs> I, I thought, the thing is, I was going to say binary domain. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, Eric. You gives you non-human robots. That's the same damn thing. But no. And yet, it does the exact opposite. <laughs> right? But the entire question is in dehumanizing and empathizing with them as actual and living. When did Spec Ops come out? I'm not seeing it on this list. That's because you can't see. It's the next month. It's the next month? That was me doing my, my really cool seg into the next month. What, what's, yeah. We'll just edit this. To be edited, that was pure. I was really going to, as soon as Chris was finished talking, I was going to do the binary domain thing because it does the exact opposite of the standard trope where, yes, they are the other. They are literally the other. They're not human. And then the game humanizes them as it goes on to where you you shouldn't be fighting them anymore, and in fact, you don't. So who's played Spec Ops the Line, then? June, Inversion, Pikmin 2, Gravity Rush, Lollipop Chainsaw, Civilization Five: Gods and Kings, Quantum Conundrum, The Walking Dead Episode 2, and yes, Spec Ops the Line. I think we're starting with that one. I, I can't imagine that anyone has talked about Spec Ops the Line. I think it, it just fell uh, off everyone's radar, and we'll never hear about it again. It's not as though anyone wrote a book on the subject. I was going to say, yeah, it was all right, but you wouldn't want to write a book about it. Who are we being sarcastic to for this entire time? I think we're the people that are dismissive (laughs) to the game as a whole. It's just like when when Brendan's book was first announced and you had all those people on various (laughs) podunk forums, they're just like, who would write about Spec Ops The Line? It was so boring and 
bad gameplay, and it's just, did, we, did you just skip all the cutscenes or something like that? Is that what's going on? Do you, know, do you know who was dismissive of Spec Ops The Line? Me, for about the first few episodes. I remember playing this and like, what? This is what everybody's talking about? And then it kind of slowly seeps in to until the the gate, I believe, of the chapter in question. After I was like, Jesus. And just from then on, I was like, this is actually really fucking good. That's what the game is. It sucks you in. Uh, it's another boring bog standard, and then the left hook comes in and is holy Wow. Well, for me, I mean, first of all, I played it well after release, so I already had an awful lot of the reception in my mind going in. But I was totally shocked at how early on you start shooting friendlies, as R would say. It's just like you spend most of the game fighting American soldiers. Yeah. And that's something that a lot of shooters, both first-person and third-person, do their best to avoid. I mean, I remember, like, going through Halo and finding in shock in Halo 2. It's just like, I'm finally playing as the opposition, shooting humans. It's like, that's just, that's so taboo somehow. And you don't, Hold on, hold on. You don't, you don't shoot any soldiers in Halo 2. You only shoot other covenants. No, yes, there is a, yes, yes, you do shoot a few other, but there's a thing. It's like, it's oh. very, it's rare. It's like you shoot a few and then you go right back to shooting other covenants. But here, it's, that's what you're doing, is you're shooting the side that you think of as the good guys, who are not the good guys. Although, who is the good guy? That's changed my perception of Halo 2, because I thought you were only fighting other Covenant, and then you team up uh, with humans at the end. No, I swear that there's a section where you shoot at least a handful of humans. And I Please would, yell at Chris in the comments as to whether or not you shoot humans in the special chapter where you yeah, let's, the Arbor. Let's resolve this, because I don't want to have to come all the way to, to L.A. and fight Chris. That's, like, that's, a, that's a total waste of both our times. So, uh, <laughs> so Spec Ops the Line. Also, one thing that it isn't just a, like another dirty brown and gray shooter. It was a very brown shooter, but it was more of a tan. Well, no, it's because I can't... But actually, I can't, there's a lot of water The guy who does 20... The guy who does 20-sided, Seamus Young, that's it. Seamus Young wrote an article based on the art direction mm. of Spec Ops The Line and how, I know we all, it's cliche now to complain about the orange-blue dichotomy, but here is how you actually use it correctly. Here's an example of that, and it actually gets rid of the dull drabness of most brown shooters. Except, but you know, it, it's acceptable for this yeah. game to be brown. <laughs> it's only realistic. But, but, but I, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just like it's funny that like a game that it's like it's like oh yeah, you're in the desert, you're in the middle of a sandstorm. There's all this water. <laughs> there are all these water environments. Well, that's Dubai. Well, yeah. I don't think anyone really went in considering it's just like well, I mean, when you get to like to the first scenes where it's just yeah, you're basically climbing sand dunes and now you're in a giant aquarium. Yeah, that was a bit different. I've only really got two things I would say about it because I've already written about it and. First issue of 5 out of 10. I die. Go by one. Um, the two things would be, I would drop the words Spec Ops from the name of the game because they achieve nothing. Mm -hmm. I just call it The Line. Sounds more badass. Um, you can't because that it, that's why they got it made. It was the Spec Ops franchise. Ah, bah, bah, I'll fund it. I'll fund it. Take the name away. I'll give you, I'll give you a tenner. It'll be all right. Although i, I got to ask this question because it's been asked by everyone. Jaeger Entertainment, how did you get this made? How were you allowed to do this in the first place? And can we replicate that elsewhere? Here's the thing, because when Far Cry 3 came out, you know, the writers were like, oh yeah, we wanted to tap into that Apocalypse Now, Heart of Darkness vibe. <laughs> and look I what came Far of that. Far Cry, 3 well, Far Cry 2 already did that. Oh yeah, so we, I mean, we had all these... It's not so much, 
we we sh- we need to be careful about saying more like this, please, when it comes to something like Spec Ops: The Line, because I feel like I a lot of people take the but, I, t- I think a lot of people yeah. take the wrong note from it. It's like it's not that we should have this sort of like edgy anti-war thing. It's like no, we need more self-reflective, critical games or even risks. Mm. How did you get this made? How were you allowed to take this risk? And can we replicate that process? But it's not that risky risky because there's multiple ways of playing and interpreting the game. You've got the, I am playing, I am, no, no, there's the military shooter level where it's perfectly acceptable, and then there's the, there's the nice extra bits, and there's the, the sort of high level story analysis for all of us critical types. There's people who have played it online. What's a ban for, for much less subversive stuff than this? And that was a huge deal for EA. Uh, they got banned on military bases. That was a huge deal that they were willing to change the game so they could get the sales. And the problem there was so much less than this game. The problem that the issues they'd have with this game, and the company still went ahead with it. But that's the the name of the game and the company behind it. That like Spec Ops is a much less known title. And you have to remember that even though we've been talking about it extensively in critical circles, that it hasn't sell. You know, it didn't it sell anywhere near as much as a Medal of Honor or a Call of Duty would. But, but seriously, like, if you watch videos on YouTube of people playing this thing, if you watch, like, the your, your Let's Plays and, and what have you, people aren't going, you know, it's a really deep military shooter. They're going, fuck yeah, woo, just shooting everyone around them. So just because the game sets up this context of subversion and making you think of it as, like, the killer, that doesn't necessarily mean that people will take the bait. You know, I took the bait, mm-hmm. but I'm not, I'm not saying it. You know, not everybody's going to, and I think that's where it is. It, it, it does succeed because... You can enjoy it on a mechanical level, and okay, it's not technically as good as Gears of War, but then there is this extra kind of thread that runs through, and you're like, oh, hold on, something's not right here. And then once the, the kind of central revelation comes about, you can't really escape it by that point. See, now I'm wondering here, because when you look at other media, for example, you know, the war film, like a lot of big war enthusiasts will watch, you know, Full Metal Jacket and think, fuck yeah, this is a great war film. I really love that Arlie Army guy. But they're like, they won't take anything more meaningful away from it in the same way that someone can somehow go through something like Spec Ops The Line and not really pick up on any sort of deeper meaning to that. And it doesn't mean that everyone who goes into it with that fuck yeah mentality is going to walk away with a fuck yeah mentality. Oh, no, absolutely not. I mean, it's the kind of game that could definitely change people's minds. Um, but we should, and I'm just saying, Although, just saying we shouldn't assume everybody's mind's going to be changed. Sure. Although I'm trying to imagine if one of those fuck yeah mentalities with, and if they're an American, and then finally shooting Americans, I'm wondering how does that work in their cognitive dissonance? Well, I mean, I know that just from personal experience that R was really shocked by it. It was like one of the first things that he noticed, and it was the one thing that he hammered on the most when, you know, he was playing it. Well, not to be a little dismissive, he has real-life experience in that matter. Sure, but at the same time, I mean, I think we also overlook the fact that, yeah, a lot of people in the military play these games. Mm-hmm. A lot of people that are both actively serving and are playing abroad at their bases and also who have retired and are back home and are finding themselves with a bit more free time and whatever to play this sort of thing. I think that's actually an entire demographic that we've never really talked about. We mentioned earlier how we don't really talk about sports games. Well, we don't really talk about the consumption of military-themed games by those who have served. Not a lot, but it is talked about some. Mostly in the context of, oh, it's been banned on military bases. I mean, that's typically where the conversation ends. 
No, you can find people in discussions and designers discussing why this appeals to military people and what they get out of it and interviews with some of them. It's one or two years old, but it's mostly discussing Call of Duty and Gears of War in that context, but not a lot of it, but it is there, not just not a lot. But see, that's still, that's like, that's people on the inside, that's developers that are, like, talking about marketing to these kind of people. We haven't really heard an awful lot of it. No, no, from not the critical marketing, stuff. I mean the actual why they play it, not marketing to them. So do you think, well, do you think Spec Ops is marketed specifically at an American audience? Because they can... I didn't see it marketed. Well, I mean, it was marketed well, poorly. I mean, is the content and the message of the game aimed at an American audience? Because thinking is a non-American, like, whenever you started shooting members of the 33rd. I didn't find that particularly shocked. Obviously, you're an American shooting Americans, and there's that kind of, woo, but it wasn't like, oh, my God, we're killing Americans, oh, my God. It wasn't like, well, you if know. you're Irish, and you had to play a game where you shoot Irish with that. You have to think of it in that context. I thought Americans and Irish people got on, like, a house on fire, and also I'm from <laughs> Northern Ireland, and Northern Irish people killing Northern Irish people is actually quite well established. That's like, that's yeah, like the past, right. that's like the that should be more relevant. Yeah. I didn't know where from Ireland he's from. Well, I'm, I'm from the I'm from the bad bit. I'm from the Black North, and people are actually burning. Well, no, they're not. Sorry, they're not burning. They're burning cars um, in protest at the the British flag being removed from the city hall right now. This is the thing that I've come back to. It's like, oh, watch out for the flag. You do that over basketball games. At least you do it over relevant, mar- marginally relevant stuff. We do it over basketball games. Really. Yes, L.A., it becomes a riot town if they win or lose the NBA championship. See, Northern Ireland's basically a riot country. That's what people do for fun. It's like, you come out for a riot? No, you're all right, mate, they end. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I now live in England, by the way. I've been, I've been exiled. <laughs> okay, honestly, we could talk about Spec Ops to the line until we're blue in the face or, or even write a book about it, as it were. Oh, everybody so, should buy that book. I, I finished it on the plane. On the way back, I don't want to read it. I don't want to do a mini book review because I think it kind of succeeds and it fails. I think there's times when Brendan kind of reaches, and it's very much his reading of Spec Ops rather than a universal work of criticism. I mean, whenever it came out, I sort of said to him, "Well, think universal work of criticism." Yeah. kind of the point. But I'd kind of said but to him at the time, you know, I said, oh, well, nobody needs to write anything about this game anymore," and he said that <laughs> if anybody didn't write anything more about the game, he would feel like he had failed. And a lot of people have in response. Yeah. To so I think. I think if you're interested, and I read it as soon as I get a tablet or a reader, because I do not want to read it off my phone or computer screen. Heretic. <laughs> no, we hey, should mention I, that I he has had plans for some sort of paperback version at some point in the future. So, for you holdouts who don't like staring at screens, help is on the way at some point. <laughs> oh, I'm fine with a screen. I just want on a tablet with a bigger screen. You should do an audiobook. He should, I, especially I, with that lovely accent of his. But it, I mean, but yeah, I should offer it to narrate the audiobook. Spec Ops, the <laughs> line, a critical reading by but Brennan Q. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I would pay good money for that. <laughs> Alan, end up thanking me in the forward. I'm in the forward, and I get thanked as the resident librarian. I'd like to thank Eric Swain, like, when I wrote this book. that I actually didn't write him, just narrating it. You know, stick to it. <laughs> You just okay. have, like, segues halfway through. It's just like, this man's taking the piss. <laughs> <laughs> what are you playing up, Brendan? That's bollocks, like. What are you talking <laughs> about? That's bollocks. <laughs> I don't agree with it. Uh, in June, there's two other games I want to talk about. Uh, Quantum Conundrum and Lollipop Chainsaw. Uh, do we have to? I mean, Quantum Conundrum, sure, but Lollipop Chainsaw, really? Well, Lollipop Chainsaw, I have a theory about this because, I don't know if you pay attention to Jim Sterling or not, he's labeled it as one of his top five games of the year. 
Meh, Jim Sterling. Thing is, is, it does something interesting. It's just I have a theory that it did it too late with regards to, to gender politics and issues. Because it does do things, but it has like one of the worst timing of releases before people could even begin to like dig in and think about it. Anita Sarkeesian happened, then Tomb Raider happened, then, then Hitman happened, all quick succession just after it released. And that killed. Upon release, it was already out of date. Mm-hmm. And I feel it's just one of those weird problems with it. It doesn't say much, and it doesn't say a lot, but for what little it does say, it was already behind the times when it was finally released due to all these real-world catastrophes that were going on. I feel like a lot of people didn't really know what to make of it, though, because like I, there was a big backlash. I think, I'm trying to think. Now, Polygon gave it a very negative review, and they were they were very harsh of the sexist nature of it. And without trying to do any kind of self-promotion, one of the best reviews I read of it was actually one Craig did for Split Screen, and then he reviewed it in a really interesting way. He made me kind of think about it in a whole different light, where he was like, well... He just sort of said that it's another crap Suda 51 game. But that was a bit... Sure, it was actually kind of split on it. Yeah, it's just... It's one of, Which these, is, it's one of these weird kind of divisive games where... But the fact that the Borderhouse was split on certain aspects of it is kind of... You think it would generate something, and I just think it was the timing of it that was just so horrendous for its release, and that's why it didn't. Yeah, to me, all those Suda 51 games are like, why would you bother? They're not good games. The only one I've been interested in is No More Heroes, but whenever I see footage of, like, Killer7 or Shadows of the Damned or Lollipop Chainsaw, it's like, this is just a crap game. This is not my idea of a good time. Anything that's full of so much clunk that you can't really enjoy it, it's like, ugh, I can't be bothered. That might sound really shallow, but at this point, I don't care. So, Chris, Quantum Conundrum, how good was Discord? Ah, oh, this is the best part. Just to, p- to clarify for those who haven't played it, where Portal had the female robot kind of antagonist Gladys, in here you have a sort of a snobbish, older male professor figure who is voiced by John Delancey, who is doing his very best Q slash Discord the entire way through. And I, really I would say it's more Q than Discord, probably appropriately so, but... It's probably the one thing that kept me going through the game as long as I did, because a lot of the puzzles are way more frustrating than Portals ever were. And as much as I don't think it's entirely fair to continuously compare Quantum Conundrum with Portal, the fact that it has the same key designer with Kim Swift, the fact that they play very similarly, that some of the physics puzzles are indeed very similar in execution, uh, it's sort of like an inevitable comparison. Maybe that valve polish. If by polish you mean simplification, because if there's one thing that Portal is very good at, both the first and second ones, it's kind of in guiding you toward the solutions, almost to a point of reducing itself to kind of self-effacing simplicity, whereas in Quantum Conundrum it's just, I just got stuck and I gave up, because it was so much, not just a matter of, I need to position this here and I need to set this up here, but it was also a matter of, you know, precision platforming in 3D, which is, you know, I think Yahtzee's right on this one. It's just not a good idea. Anyway, yeah, Quantum Conundrum. To me, it's just so delightful. It's like the kids' fun adventure version of Portal without death and murder. No, I mean, it is a really fun game, and it's got a lot of really quirky and cute details that I really do want to go back and make another go of it at some point. 
but kind of like Fez, right now I'm not getting the energy for it. Cute, and yeah, it's John Delancey, and that just lights up the nerd centers of my brain. That's awesome. But it's just so frustrating for me. To me, like the difference between something like Portal 2 and Quantum Conundrum is it is just a question of design. And Valve are excellent game designers. They are really meticulous and make it something that kind of funnels you towards the fun. Like, that's why Half-Life 2 is so good. It's this masterclass and how to actually design levels for a first-person shooter. So it's interesting with Quantum Conundrum. It's, you've taken the lead designer, you've taken them out of Valve, out of their hermetically sealed design environment, and saying, you know, what happens whenever they're given a bit more free reign over the design? What happens is something that's not quite as good, apparently. I kind of like a little bit of roughness in my games because Valve's polish is starting to get to me in a very negative way. It's got to be the right type of roughness, though. It's like the roughness of, like, the first two Guitar Heroes, that's good roughness. Mm. I can't think of a bad example because you tend to block out bad games from our memories, but, yeah. Anyway, well, the first Walking July, Dead chapter, that's a, that's a good example of bad roughness. I don't think that's bad roughness. It's not rough, is it? Yes, it is. Oh, it is terrible really? to control on the PC. Well, I mean, all the chapters are, but especially the first one was... I played it on hell. PC. What are you talking about? It was pretty... It was damn good PC control. No. Anyway, anyway we're off topic. We're off topic because we're doing that later. Okay. We're off topic. We're always off topic. <laughs> this is a series of off topics where we occasionally go back on. Uh, we should, you know what? We should just do this. He's like, okay, what's the topic? Pick up a dictionary, point at a word. All right, let's <laughs> run for an hour and see where we end up. July, The Secret World, Spelunky, Orcs Must Die, 2, Dyad. Orcs uh, Must Die, 2, Dyad. That sounds like the subtitle of that game. <laughs> <laughs> the best part is, this is the second shortest month of the entire year. Uh, I wish a game would come out on my birthday sometime. Well, good. one of them is uh, MMO. Yeah, but I don't like MMOs. Oh, and to be fair, there were a lot more releases, but they're mostly the, either the console releases of the PC game or the PC release of the console game that already came out this the summer, year. Like the summer in the Northern Hemisphere, at least, is a really dead time for games because the assumption is that most of these traditional gamers, i.e. the ones that are in school, are out for the summer and are out and playing. That has more time. Yeah, no, they seem to, and there's the fact that the mean age of the gamer nowadays is actually well into adulthood, and they don't exactly have summer vacations. And here's another thing. This is usually when Rockstar releases their game and get the whole month to themselves. Rockstar didn't have a big release this year. It didn't have a Red Dead Redemption yeah, or Grand Theft Auto. I mean, yeah, they, God, yeah, it was they a boring did. month. I mean, Dyad came out, but that wasn't exactly like the sweep the world kind of game. At least not in September when everyone started paying attention. Right. That's, that's my really highbrow critique of Dyad. Dyad's weird. I started to read the person who actually everyone always says you should play this on drugs so did you see the guy who did the games it was a piece where he actually dropped LSD to play it what I do mean, you need drugs to play it it's, it's weird guys it's weird <laughs> <laughs> I know I tried to figure it out but I was doing something and I was doing it very well I just couldn't quite rasp the details of what I was I'm, doing. I was definitely doing Probably what the game told me to do, but I'm not quite sure like, how long that was going to go on for. It's like, I, I've maybe played the first few, I don't know, I've played about an hour of it, I'm kind of like, right, this is okay, but it's kind of like a screensaver I control. And maybe I just haven't given it enough patience, but I mean, I've heard that, in fact, it was, um, I believe it was your piece, Chris, in 5 out of 10, where you said the developer of Dyad hates video games. 
which I always think is a really strong position to come from when you're developing a video game. No, I mean, <laughs> I got to meet him briefly at IndieCade, and he's a generally nice guy. And it really wasn't me who asked the question. It was Patricia who was, let's be fair, she was a bit more outgoing than normal because she had a few drinks at that point. But she was just like... Very blatantly asked him, "Is it true you hate games?" And he's just like standing there near this restaurant, and he's got a beer in his hand, and he's got the sheepish look on his face, and he's just like, "Yeah." Because <laughs> he did an interview with Richard Terrell, and that's basically where he asserted it that he doesn't like games. And I mean, I think there's like some component to Dyad where play it is just like you can kind of and here's the extrapolation on that really what McGrath was saying is just like it's not that he hates games he kind of hates their current execution of them by and large that he feels that they're not really serving the extent of their potential what's actually interesting in his interview with Richard Carell is how he explains that video game if games are what video games are currently then Dyad is the anti-game because it does almost everything the exact opposite most games, they try to make doing something difficult for quote-unquote challenge. Mm-hmm. So for Dyad, he tried making what you wanted to do in the game very, very easy. It was still but, difficult as hell, but then it, you just reached that final stage also, where it's... This, does Dyad not get easier as you play? I've heard that it starts Well, it also changes what easier. you want to do. It has the same mechanics, but the general idea of what you want to do in the different levels is different. But so for every level, he designed it so that doing what you wanted to do in that particular level was easy and it just flowed and it wouldn't just stop you midstream and get you frustrated. But it does stop you. If you fail, you know, within certain time limits or something like that, it just like ends the level on you. And I found it intensely frustrating. I'm going to go with Alan. Diet is weird. I I probably need to play it. (laughs) If you ever wanted to like go into a shop and get a box quote in the game, mine would just be diad. It used to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> or it's like, or at least try the demo, just to wet your taste buds on it. Also, the secret world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm the master of mixed metaphors. The secret world. I'm glad that it's surviving. I just wish it was doing better. Just so Ragnar Pornquist would have more clout for his next project, whatever it was. And the fact is, well, I don't like MMOs or play them. It is just so full of imagination and creativity, the type of which we don't see, which my personal thought is because he's from Scandinavia and we don't get a lot of fantasy from Scandinavian countries reaching our shores. So that's why it seems new and different. Beowulf and Lord of the Rings is arguably Scandinavian, I guess. They're British, both of them, and you know it. No, Tolkien's a professor of Scandinavian literature, let's say. And yet he's British. It's a British sensibility. Ah, okay, right, anyway. Spelunky, who's played that? Neither of you, presumably. Or at least he might have played the PC original. Not yet. It's in my playbook. I hate to sound like <laughs> the broken record here, but Spelunky's weird. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Spelunky is, I've had it since July. I got it when it came out, and I've been playing it on and off since then. And I still don't really know how I feel about it. And, like, every time I play it, I'm like, oh, I hate you so much, Blunky. You're a, you're a dick, you know? You punish me every time. It's like, all the all the worlds are randomly generated. So sometimes you'll come into a cave and you'll see this massive spider hanging from the roof. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake, no, I can't complete this. And so you get killed by a spider and you start again. And then there's, like, a massive pit full of spikes. And you're like, oh, for fuck's sake. And then you start playing again. But then suddenly three hours have passed. And you're like, am I actually really enjoying this? Is this actually, like, is this genius? Well, I, whenever I started playing this, it was bright outside. What the hell just happened? It's a, I don't know if I love it or if I hate it, and I suspect that I love it. 
Well, that's a pretty fond endorsement, I guess. I mean, the way you describe it, it's, eh, it's kind of what attracts me to Minecraft, but I have Minecraft for that. Can I make a really bad pop cultural analogy? Okay. Why not? Okay, you know, do you remember Hey Arnold? Yes. Yeah. And you remember Helga and how she always says to Arnold that she hates him? Yeah. But then actually she's like madly in love with him? So okay, that's your spl- relationship with Spelunky? Yes, Spelunky is Arnold and I'm Helga. <laughs> you could have gotten the... Alan, you could have gotten the same thing from Lord of the Rings. We hate it. Oh, it's not quite the same thing. It's got to be, hey, Arnold, in a couple of years, you'll figure out how my mind works during this podcast. It always has, it's like, it's like late 90s Nickelodeon. That's no, no, I was right I'm there. I'm just impressed that they aired that, camp. you know, overseas. It's such a quintessentially American cartoon for me. Yeah, I don't know. Most Nowadays, most cities are pretty much the same experience. I don't know. It's just like it felt really East Coast to me when I grew up watching it. It's like, and I've never um, lived on the East Coast. Most British pop culture is American. Yeah, our transportation works. Yeah, I know. I'm really envious. <laughs> I reviewed my favorite tweets, and I found I favorite a lot of, uh, of your experience <laughs> on the New Jersey transit system. What is this? The trains are on time? Yes. What is this? Everything is clearly labeled? What is this? In fairness, in fairness, the L.A. trains have actually gotten a lot better since I visited New Jersey. So I can only imagine that they, too, saw my tweets and decided that they needed to kick it up a notch. So you're saying that the Los Angeles government leadership makes the trains run on time? Yeah. Okay, sorry for that. Hey, look, August, video games come out, man. Yes. Oh, we're back to the big list. This is the beginning of the fall rush. Oh, boy. Look at that list. August. another page. Oh, God. August. Deadlight. Persona 4 Arena. Sound Shapes. Darksiders 2. The Last Story. Papa and Yo. Sleeping Dogs. Dust. An Elysian Tale. New Super Mario Brothers 2. Transformers. Fall of Cybertron. Guild Wars 2. Rock Band Blitz. The Walking Dead Episode 3 and 30 Flights of Loving, and I think we already discussed 30 Flights of Loving. Thank you, Alan, for doing this out of order. No problem. Papo and Yo is on the list, and Sound Shapes I own, but I have not played. So I guess it's wait, also wait, wait. on you, the list. Sure. Is your opinion of Papo and Yo? Yep, it sure is on the list. <laughs> sure. It, Papo that and Yo is like definitely it. one of the video games that come out this year. Absolutely. 100% came out. Yeah. Ouch. One objective reviews. That was it. It sure came out. There's a video game, and it costs this much. No, it's, it's not me saying, don't play this. I really, really want to. I just need to budget, and I need to work through things in a certain order, and I need to actually start playing all these games that I'm buying. So it, Yeah, I'll, and like for my case, it's just like... Chris, I think it's just between you and me. Right. Then. When IndieCade was coming around, and the entire roster of games was coming out, and I saw that, you know, there was Diet and Papo and Yo and Unfinished Swan, which we'll get to later, it's just yeah, I need to get all these games, and then Patricia Hernandez was going to be crashing at my place, and we were like, yeah, we got to play Tokyo Jungle, so it's, all right, let me go and buy and download all these games. So that's the only reason, I think, that I actually ended up with all these games in time for this podcast here was because of IndieCade. But Papaleo was, I think, quite deserving of an awful lot of the praise that it's gotten, and I don't want to rehash all of what I've said in 5 out of 10 magazine, which is available now, and you should purchase it, uh, uh, from from 5out10magazine.com. Thank you. I hear that is where you can get it from. Yes, not that you would know. Uh, I can cut out all this plugging, you know. Oh, get but, on with it. Oh, but you don't get want on to. with it. <laughs> there has to be a... Look, 
Critical distance is a completely volunteer endeavor here. We need to make our rent somehow. We've got to eat, Eric. Yeah, I don't know how you do it, but this is how we do it. I get free room and board. Yeah. Put them up. But anyway, but no, Papaleo is, I think, gets a positive trend in the sense of this is a fairly personal game about a very personal experience. And as much as Caballero has been like, oh, this is a universal story about anyone who's had to deal with this sort of thing. I mean, you can see the writer inflected in this game very prominently. And the fact that it released to as much critical discussion as it has, that it's on a major distribution network like PSN, is a sign of, I would think, positive things to come, fingers crossed. I would like to see more high-profile releases where you can clearly see kind of like the personal experience of the central writer or the central designer come through the work. I think we need more auteur video games, don't we? Because at the moment, the only people... Well, really, oh, really screw that term. I had an entire couple of paragraphs oh. in that article that I cut out about auteurism and how bullshit it is. Oh, but, fine. fine. I mean, Never mind. Hold on. Hold on. Let's do it. Yeah, so anyway, yeah. Uh, you spent ten minutes slagging off an author earlier. No, no, probably, I mean, here's the thing. It's just like, Papuleo is not a single-person game. It had a fairly large development team for an indie game. That being said, it definitely reflects the perspective of its key designer, Caballero. First, Vander Caballero, or Vander, I'm not actually sure how you pronounce that in Spanish. That's or Portuguese. Vander Caballero, I think. But anyway, I'm in as much as I think that auteurism is a sort of a retrospective categorization that doesn't entirely apply to works as we understand them, that I think it's actually done an awful lot of damage when it comes to understanding how media gets created and how we think about authorship of collaborative media like movies and games. It's definitely true that you can look at a game like Papaleo and see Caballo in that game. Well, maybe this should just be more original personality then. That's what I'm saying. As he, as he backpedaled swiftly from his earlier comments. <laughs> I just hate the word auteur, okay? This is two film degrees talking. Okay, okay. This is zero film degrees. <laughs> Half a film degree. Half? And you were an English major. Did you minor in film? Could have. The thing is, a lot of film classes and English classes tended to overlap each other, and if I had taken a few more, I actually could have gotten a minor. Oh, shame, but that English degree is really helps you get a job. Anyway, you seem to be dancing around the issue, Chris. What? You say, yes, it's a good trend. Yes, this is a nice showing of things to come. What did you think of Papa and Yo itself? I don't think that it's really fair of me to say that this was really effective for me because I read an awful lot of the criticism about it before I played it, so I knew very well what was going in, what I was going to experience going in. That being said, I found it a fairly evocative experience. I thought that it was rough around the edges, but cathartic nonetheless. I think it was actually your article, Eric, on Pop Matters that suggested... Oh, I was going to get to that. I will allow you to. This is actually a pretty good way to segue into that, that it takes like something personal that you bring to the story in order to draw something cathartic out of it. In my case, I mean, I didn't have an addict for a parent, but I definitely had an abusive parent. And so it was very easy for me to bring that into my gameplay and draw something very emotional out of it because of that. I felt like a dick writing my, my criticism of Papa and you. I just want to put that up there. I even say that in the piece. I feel like a dick writing this. Is because, that, is that because I, you're a dick? <laughs> no, it's because I had a stereotypically happy childhood, and while I respect Papa and you, I felt absolutely nothing 
while playing it. Well, I felt nothing. Well, good for you and your stable parents' marriage and your happy childhood. Doing, Most marriages yeah. end in divorce, you know. You know what really interested yeah, me was that uh, whenever I was putting together, oh, sorry, I'm talking over you. You talk away. And I said my piece, and I wonder. It's like, yeah. And then I look over my child, and I think, I well, it's presented in media that this is the standard, this is the gold standard, this is the usual. So yeah, I know I'm an outlier, but still, but at least I'm like what people want to aspire to because it is the outlier, and it generally does get rid of a lot of problems, but. I don't know if it's just because I was that I couldn't emotionally and viscerally connect to this on any way. I can connect to it intellectually, and I respect it for that, and I posited that maybe it's because I lack the real experience of this emotional thing that the art of a story like this doesn't connect emotionally like that. That, to me, should be the point of it, that it should bring you, it should help you to understand what it was like to be in that situation, even if you weren't. It's quite interesting that you said that it didn't affect you in that way, you know? Well, like I said, intellectually, like, I understand this. I understand all the little details. I understand the horrificness. I like, in my frontal cortex, I understand all these things. It's just in the lizard brain. It doesn't pull the strings. Like, so, you know the way you guys both did, like, English and media degrees? Mm-hmm. I did a degree in psychology. So every time you say lizard brain, that kind of makes my skin crawl. That's like whenever I said auteur earlier. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like a red rag to a bow. So we're, we're stepping on each other's territory. Yeah, yeah, you're in dangerous crimes. <laughs> okay, well, the month's actually kind of packed, so I'm willing to shift uh, focus. Uh, Walking Dead, we're going to do later. Dust, we did mention it before. I can't play it, and I really want it to come to PC because it looks gorgeous. It is I a very it. adorable game. It reminds me an awful lot, actually, of the working designs localizations of the 90s. It has a very quirky sort of tone to it. The voice acting is... You either are on board with it or you're not, and if you're not, it's going to be a very difficult game to play because it's very anime. I'll just leave it at that as far as, like, what the voice acting is like, but it's very... It was a bit like Popful Mail, if anyone has ever played that working designs game. It was for, like, a Sega CD and years gone by, but it's very cute, and I happen to know some of the people who worked on it, and so that's always an added bonus when you're dealing with indie games. You get to meet all the coolest people. And I, too, wish that it would come to some platform other than 360. Not that I don't have the hard drive space for it on 360, because I certainly have room to spare on that one, but I don't know. I just think that all games should be on PC, especially the good ones. Bad ones can just stay on their whatever consoles, but I want a good game to come to PC. I don't know what, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I'm not big well, Guild Wars 2 came out this month. That's a huge, great PC game, apparently. Well, what did... Guild Wars 2. Oh, but that's an MMO. But it's, I didn't say, it's I didn't a, say anything it's a, else. It's a good kind of MMO. The kind where you can play once and you don't have to pay a subscription every month. That's my kind of MMO. That's most MMOs now. Yeah, probably for the better. I don't know. It, it's the design and what you end up doing that I don't like. I don't like games that waste my time. Respect your time? That's the phrase I quite like now. Yeah. Oh, hold on. Apparently... Oh, oh, really? What? Yeah, Ian just uh, came on. Yes, you just showed up. Well, well, well. I call this perfect timing for that.